tonight with that, I want to ask if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 6. The book of Acts chapter 6. And um, as I was putting this sermon together this afternoon, in fact, I had another sermon in mind. Uh, I was intending to preach, but I felt compelled and stirred uh, to take this direction. And um, I was made aware that uh, uh, Brother Dennis sent me a text and he sent me this image and it was the day of Pentecost. And uh, I was reminded that the day of Pentecost is actually 50 days after we celebrate Easter. Basically, after Jesus rose from the dead, 50 days after that, they experienced the Holy Spirit coming down upon, the, upon them. And as I was thinking about that, I was contemplating on this thought. And I was reminded of my first recollection of a time that God added to the church very distinctly and prominently. I remember it so vividly when we were in the mother church. This was back probably in 2008. I was a disciple and, and I was laboring in the mother church. We were doing quite a bit for the kingdom at that time. We were doing, uh, serving in many different capacities. And there were times that I would go on outreaches and I would be so frustrated coming home from the outreaches. And the reason for my frustration is because we had a handful of people going out to labor and as i would come home as i was drive back i would see a bunch of people sitting in the mamak shop having a cup of coffee and chatting away that kind of got to me because here we are laboring for the kingdom why won't you just make the initiative to come into the house of god and why would you just not make the initiative to labor with us and so that was something I battled with as a young man in my teenage years. That was something, my heart for God and fervency for God uh, somehow. And I remember talking to Pastor Allen about this. I said, Pastor, this is not right. How can it be? How long do you expect us to do what we're doing? And, and it's getting frustrating. It's getting annoying. It's getting very irritating that you see no one else laboring except you. I remember as that frustration began to build up, shortly after that, it was so supernatural and miraculous, we started seeing such an incredible influx people walking into church. I myself, I, I you know, couldn't even put my finger on what was happening, our labor and all the time of investment and sowing and laboring seemed to have come to a place where it had tipped 
something and we were seeing people walking new people come into church these were people who didn't know jesus these were hindus these were buddhists these were people who had no relationship no clue who jesus was they were coming in and getting saved by the droves that was in fact a memorial stone a tipping point in my ministry because it was in that moment that i was reminded that my labor is never in vain all those years that was the only time i can significantly remember seeing such an influx multiplication happen then we left the mother church and we came here and we saw another set of influx in 2010 and as time went on we begin to see the church grow and the next set of influx and increase that i can remember happened in september of 2015 where we saw this numbers of different people walk into church get saved live for god and begin doing something for god and i'm saying all of that because there are two things i want to address number one i have come to the realization that significant growth and increase have been have happened in seasons and in times that god allows it to happen but the second thing i want you to understand is none of these increase and influx can be attributed to one singular action or event in fact when i reflect today as i was putting the sermon together when i began to reflect today i am reminded that this is only possible because it is a work of god so i don't know if i may have the formula right but if 2010 we saw an incredible influx 2015 we saw another incredible influx here then i think it's safe to say that i am believing for 2020 to be another year of influx because 2010 to 2015 this is going to get a little confusing but it's five years there and then if god keeps that pattern then i'm assuming in the next we are up for another set of influx and i believe god's going to do it and i'll tell you why i'm going to preach to you this evening because there is a book in the bible that reminds us of this taking place it is the book of acts and it is filled with many accounts when the church experienced a great harvest so read with me in the book of Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through verses 7. And I'm not going to take too much of your time tonight. I know you want to eat. But at the same time, you also know I say that a lot and I do take your time. So it doesn't matter. 1 through 7, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the hebrews by the hellenists because their widows were neglected in daily distribution then the twelve summoned 
the multitude of the disciples and said, is it, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the day of Pentecost, we celebrate, we acknowledge Pentecost because the Holy Spirit came. And so full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So in this account, the early, early years of the church, this reveals the impact as you read Acts 6 all the way through verse 7. You are observing and you are drawing from this text the impact that the gospel, the preaching has been making in the time the disciples were around. The Bible tells us in two different areas. In verses 1, disciples were multiplying. In verses 7, disciples multiplied greatly. So this was tentatively about three or four years from the time the church was incepted. Since the time Jesus ascended into heaven, the inception of the church and the Holy Spirit, all of these between Acts 1 through Acts 6, it took about tentatively three or four years in, uh, uh, in church history for this to happen. So revival broke out about three or four years after the church began, and the disciples were seeing a time in which, as the scripture says in verse 7, the word of God was spreading and the number of disciples were increasing. There was spreading and there was impact. And this is seen as you read the book of Acts. You find a number of times this is mentioned. A number of times the word of God in the book of Acts tells us that multiplication began to happen. Disciples began to rise up. Followers of Jesus were increasing. We're not just talking numbers. We're referring to disciples. We're referring to sold out individuals that choose to, to, to forego the world that they were living in, choose to sacrifice the things of the world in order to follow Jesus with all their heart. That is what a disciple is, beloved. And so the church today, as we stand in this place, we are believing, we are contending with great desire to see this very phenomena take place again disciples and this season that the church was experiencing in Acts chapter 6 to repeat itself once again and so as you look at the word of God in Acts 9 31 let me read three different scriptures to you then the churches throughout all Judea Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Okay? Acts 11.21 The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 16.15 And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Oh, I think I got the wrong scripture there. Acts 16. But in all of these verses, anyhow, gives us the understanding that indeed the church was multiplying and growing. There was a multiplying factor at work in the book of Acts. And as we begin to digest this, I want to bring you some historic background concerning this. Because this will further help us understand how God is going to bring us to a place of growth and increase. And I believe that is going to come to pass because the book of Acts in context was a season of time in the entire landscape of the gospel. This was a season. It was a period in time where disciples were beginning to get saved. Uh, or rather, sinners were beginning to get saved and they were being converted, becoming disciples. It was a season of time in the entire gospel. It was a season of time in the entire word of God. It was one book out of 66 books in the Bible. It was one out of 27 in the New Testament. So in more technical terms, the book of Acts only consists of 30 years of church history. Out of, what, 5,000 odd years that we've had life on earth, 4,000 before Jesus, and then 2,000 after. So give and take, 5,000 over, maybe 5,009, 5,000, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers will not run too far from that. But the point is, 30 years out of those 5,000 years reflects to a time in history when the church was growing exponentially. That's interesting to me. Because in other words, when you look through Acts chapter 9, which we were uh, looking at, and also Acts chapter 16, where we found the scriptures revealing to us over and over again, the church was growing, the church was multiplying, the church was seeing increase. All of that time put together cumulatively between Acts 9 to Acts 16 were in total of 19 years. So let's face the facts here. We understand then increase Disciples, multiplying, influx, growth, and all that we find in the book of Acts indeed happened in a time and in a season of time which God allowed it to happen in. And this is the thing we must understand about growth. God functions 
in seasons. Times where increase will happen and times where the church will be strengthened. Times where the church will see growth and times where the church will mature. Times when the church will begin to experience disciples and men and women rising up in the kingdom and times where the church will be silent and filling and equipping the people in the house of God. Seasons, beloved. And so when I study the book of Acts, I am reminded that it is only a period of 30 years in church history out of the entire, and I'm not, I am not downplaying all of the other movements of God and neither am I downplaying the reality of the many other signs and wonders we see in the Bible, but I'm helping you understand that when we read the chapters in the book of Acts, we understand it was a season of growth and increase. And so, which brings us to the understanding then that growth and multiplication, if you read all through the book of Acts, is an undeniable work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about increase, just numbers. We're talking about disciples now. The book of Acts, which introduces us to Pentecost, narrates the beginning of the church. But it is also known that why it's called the book of Acts is because it is supposed to be known as the Acts of the Apostles. And so what we read in the book of Acts, all through the book, magnifies the work of God and the Holy Spirit as we know, beloved, has come to glorify Jesus. And so in our scripture... The seven men that were filled with the Holy Spirit, these were men of good reputation, the Bible says. These were men of wisdom. They were trustworthy. They were dependable. And so as the apostles were gathered there, they said, we need to choose seven men with these qualities that they carry. And I begin to think about that. The fact that they were seven men with these qualities, good reputation, wisdom, trustworthy, dependable, God-fearing. The fact that there were, there were men with those qualities and it seems like between verses 3 through verses 6, there were no problems looking for a man with that quality. That tells me it had to be the work of the Holy Spirit. You ask me why? Because I've pastored long enough and it's hard to find men with that quality. God had to be doing something and the Holy Spirit had to be involved for those qualities to even be found in these men. They were true converts. That's what I'm saying. They were not half past six, called themselves Christian, but they had this quality and characteristics in them because they were converted. Remember, beloved, men whose lives have been transformed, testimony-worthy, examples, indeed can only be found when the Spirit of God is at work. 
So this is where the Bible says you will know them by their fruits. Because we got a, we got a whole lot of great orators today. We got a whole lot of people who can speak profoundly. But this is what the disciples were aiming at. Character. Years of pastoring has allowed me the ability to admit that a changed life isn't the work of men. It is the work of God. For a person's life to change so radically, it has to tell me that the Holy Spirit was working behind the scenes. This was the work of the Holy Spirit, nothing else. Nothing. Peter and the rest of the apostles could not have accomplished or achieved this if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. I remember in the early years of pastoring, there was a, there was a young uh, brother who came to me at that time and he said, Pastor, is gambling wrong? And I remember I began to explain the, the you know, details to him and from the Word of God, why this isn't something that would be acceptable and, and that you begin to follow and the spirit of mammon begins to govern you and the spirit of mammon begins to have control over you. You start becoming uh, uh, controlled by those things and then it becomes an addiction. And, and so I'm going through this whole breakdown with him and I'm explaining to him why this is not right in the eyes of God. But this brother as I spoke these things to him, he wasn't fully convinced, I could tell. He still went on and he said, you know, okay, you know what, thank you, pastor. And he went on living life. Until one day, I actually got a call from him. And in that phone call, he told me, pastor, I now see why this is not right. Because I now understand how it's affecting my family destroying my relationship and my trust for God is depleting because I'm beginning to trust money rather than God. And when he spoke those words to me, I realized that there was nothing I could do to convince this man. There was nothing I could do to bring him out and say, listen, don't do it or this is not right. He came to that place of realization himself. That was the work of the Spirit. It is not something I can do and you can. Nothing we can do will change a man like that. But the Holy Spirit all through the world consistently we find converts, disciples, men and women that were becoming followers of Jesus, this was the canvas we find at work in the book of Acts. Another consistent reality you find in the book of Acts is the existence of resistance. In our text, in verses 1, the Hellenists, because of the widows, were neglected in the daily distribution. And so the Hellenists who had the background of Greek culture, they came to the apostles, Peter, John, and the rest of them, and they raised a complaint. And this obviously was a spanner being thrown into the works. 
The Bible says in verses 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and ministry of the word. And here they are, they throw the spanner in the work and right there, they are unable to carry out the duty or the responsibility bestowed on them because the people are complaining. Why are the widows not being fed? Why are the widows not? And so they're concerning themselves with these things that the word of God and the preaching and the prayer has to be halted because someone's not happy. And so you see the reality happening here, beloved, is there will always be some form of resistance. The enemy will always oppose and resist the furtherance of God's kingdom. I make a statement to you. No increase has come without resistance. At any time you find growth, at any time you find influx, at any time you find uh, there is disciples rising up in the church, men and women that are excelling and growing and stepping out in God, I can tell you it has always come in the face of resistance. History proves it. What we're seeing today, we know that essentially there are some level of resistance. And most people um, measure what they see today as something that is innocently taking place. Something that is happening uh, uh, without any cause for concern. We are looking at the situation today and I speak to many people. People comment to me, it's economic crisis, it's physical crisis, it's a medical and healthcare crisis. Let me ask you something, Christians, don't you see this is also a spiritual crisis? This is a crisis for our faith. I'm beginning to think, and please bear with me, you may not necessarily agree with what I'm saying. I wish I can sit down with each and every one of you and share my thoughts with you and share my, my, uh, my, my biblical understanding and the Word of God with you because I can tell you, the screen divides us. It's hard to convey my heart to you over a camera. It's difficult, church. But I'm here to tell you that in any form of increase we will see or we will ever experience will always come with some form of resistance. Today, what we see, and please don't take this to the other tangent, I could get in a lot of trouble for saying what I'm saying, but I'm telling this to you because I want you to think with me. With the church doors closed, it's sobering to think that even if people wanted to come to church, they cannot come to the assembly for now. Cannot. It, no matter how much they want to come, they just cannot come at the moment. Ravi Zacharias passed away two weeks ago. The man who, you read his testimony, was a man who wanted to commit suicide at the age of 17. But you know what saved this man? The gospel. The preaching of the gospel. And it was done, obviously, because there was a church that existed that raised up people who preach the gospel see i can tell you there are multitudes that are simply lost beloved 
that we have no access to, that the only available opportunity for them is stumbling upon the church to find hope and answers. We've had a man, three or four years, maybe more than that, maybe five, six years ago. We were in the old building and this man was walking down by the church this man was lost this man you could tell he just came out of prison he was broken devastated life has taken a fair share on him but he walked past domino's pizza and he said i heard music playing upstairs when i looked at the side it was a church and i came up and he would share and he would tell you at that point of time, he started coming to church for a while, got radically saved, started making some good, godly, righteous decision, was a great instrument, potential for God. But I can tell you, he walked up to church because the doors were open. I can tell you a story about a lady, a grandma, who walked into church and her daughter, both of them begin to drive around and she said, you know what? I wonder where should we go to church? And as she was driving past the church, she saw the signboard in our old building again and she said, you know what? This is where God wants us to go to church. She walked up the church. She got saved, gave her life to Christ. Her daughter got saved, gave her life to Christ. Her son-in-law came to church. He got saved and gave his life to Christ. And they all walked into the church. And gave their life to Jesus. Radically changed. I'm thinking about all of that. And then I'm thinking about the financial light, a ministry right now. An initiative that is under the church. I've been giving a lot of thought concerning this. And I was told as I was doing, some, doing a session that there were places in Subang Jaya alone where people have no internet because they are very deadly poor. So I began to think, I said, so what about people who don't have internet? How will they watch what we are doing now? Cannot pay internet bill, phone bill. Lost their jobs. I know we have excuse for everything, don't we? But let me ask you something, beloved. Where will Christianity be in the next 10 years down the road? What kind of quality of Christianity will we have? Beloved, resistance has always been a thing from the past. But no growth has ever happened when Christians don't stand up. We may or may not be facing that resistance right now. You may think, Pastor, you're a nutcase. I am. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it. And you may disagree with me, beloved, and that's absolutely fine because we are all entitled to our opinion. And we're not facing intense resistance right now. We are not. 
what we are doing we have to adapt and do right now because this is just the way to move forward but lest we start failing to see the spiritual crisis that we could be in right now because we are blinded by seeing everything as a health crisis economy crisis physical crisis medical crisis I ask you, beloved, to think. Because I see this also partly as a spiritual crisis. My point, beloved, is simply this. The good we can derive from a crisis like this is the confidence that we can draw from history and the early church. See, I read in a book, this author so profoundly put these words together. Listen to what she said. The church advanced through the blood of martyrs. John the Baptist was beheaded as Jesus' early ministry began. Jesus' brother James was beheaded when the first church in Jerusalem was established. Joshua had to take the promised land by force. See, the furtherance of the kingdom, history shows us, has always been violent, costly, but glorious. The greatest harvest always comes through the greatest opposition. That's why I'm excited about what we're seeing today. Because I am convinced that as we are facing the many opposition, beloved, I can assure you that when the time comes, the doors open for the church, there are many, many, many people that will still be reluctant to come to church. Not the Christians, not you as members in this church for sure, but for the most part, the unbelievers. I'm beginning to ask myself if that fear so governs them. And yes, no doubt we can have services all over online, YouTube, Facebook, all of that, beloved. But where will the personal touch be? Where will we, have, where will we land in not being able to help them through their Christian walk and journey? The astronomical growth of churches in China took place under severe persecution. It has never been easy, but it's worth it. Call me a nut, call me a lunatic, but I'll tell you something, beloved, I'll call a spade a spade. When I see something that's happening to the hearts of Christians, I want you to know that we must learn to stand. Not outwardly and go and protest. That's not, my pro that's not what I'm advocating. Internally, to never come to a place, beloved, where things that we're seeing today can become a norm for us. I think many people don't know the dangers of it. Many people don't know where Christianity is going. Most people don't see it. So they innocently buy into it. But as your pastor, I have the difficult task of making sure I tell you the truth. And you think true what I'm saying. Haggai chapter 2, this is the promises that helps us proceed forward, furthering 
the kingdom. I'm here to tell you, Haggai chapter 2, 9, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. That's a promise. Acts chapter 2, 17 to 21. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my manservant and on my maidservant, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only acceptable explanation with the many people who will struggle as sinners, as unbelievers, who may reluctantly choose not to come to church, the only favorable explanation is the Holy Spirit needs to step in and do something supernatural. It's beyond you and me now. It's so difficult, you can't even witness to someone now. Everyone's got a face mask on. You can go running, you can go jogging, and yeah, they say no face mask, but no one wants to talk to you right now. The last day's revival is coming. We're going to see that final push, I believe. We are living in those moments of time. I, I see it, I look at the Word of God, I study, I read, I'm looking, and I'm beginning to find things in the Word of God that's becoming so real today. I did a session on, Sun, on Friday, and uh, I began to talk a little bit on this subject. And I could tell everybody began to uh, respond and you know there was there was you know a sense of what's wrong with pastor and so yesterday after morning uh, i came to church and i was doing my sermon here and uh, siva came and then he was sitting in the office and then he said yeah we turned around i looked at nina and i said something is up i said yeah sure something is up they knew something was up you know uh, uh, by, 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 the, by the virtue of what I'm saying. But I realized that as I was sitting down and telling him why my thoughts were such, I was pulling out scriptures, I was presenting to him his historical facts, and the current media today and what we're reading in the news today, he began to tell me, he said, Pastor, now I see. I, I see it. I understand. Isn't that what you said? You said, now I see. I'm realizing why you're speaking so crucially concerning the subject. And I told him this. I said, that's the whole problem with the screen. I cannot convey my heart to you unless you're in front of me. As a pastor, I, you, you'd hear me preaching right now and you would think I'm upset, angry, irritated, annoyed, and I'm just bashing everybody up. But if you were here, you will know why I'm preaching what I'm preaching. And this is the problem we are fighting with today, beloved. The screen has become the great divide. I wish 
I could sit with all of you and go through the Bible, show you my reason for what I believe. But what we need to understand this evening as I close is the great assault against the church is the great assault against our faith as a Christian. But when we remain rooted, we stay firmly footed when resistance comes. When we stand up for what is righteous and godly, beloved, there is a time coming, the end times harvest. I was reading a story about a man in India, Punjab and Haryana, and uh, this article were, were, was beginning, they, they were beginning to list down how the lockdown was affecting some farmers. And so this man, uh, his name was Sarvan, he made the statement, he says, my crop will be ready for harvesting in the next nine or ten days if the weather is clear. But I'm nervous about how I will harvest it. Because if the lockdown continues, I don't know how anyone can employ combined harvests or harvesters or even manual labor in the field. Also, so far there has been no notification from the government about the procurement dates, said Sarwan Singh, who has sown wheat in five acres. Sarwan said farmers are willing to follow all precautionary regulations to curb the novel coronavirus, but the government should also immediately address the fears, he went on. He made this statement that I want to leave with you. He said, I cannot afford to lose my crop. That even if there is a lockdown, I will go to harvest my crop and I'm ready to face consequences. So obviously, I'm in no place in advocating our position to go and stand and riot. Or, that's not what I'm, that's not, absolutely not what I'm saying. But I'll tell you this, beloved. It must be settled in your heart that no matter what people say, I will stay obedient to God. That my fundamentals and my faith as a Christian will completely remain unmoved because of who I am in Christ, the chief cornerstone. You see, this is what we must be standing up for as Christians. No matter what the consequences, I will still serve God. Psalms 1, 2, 6, 5 through 6, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amos 9.13 Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip, shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. We are indeed living in very unprecedented times, church. It's so hard as a pastor to make decisions right now. Open the church and 
put people in danger when that happens or to continue doing what we and and there's so much that goes into having to decide in making the right decision so i ask you number one for your prayer the last thing we need to battle with is condemnation i ask you to pray for the pastors and to pray for us in the decisions that we have to make but secondly let us remind ourselves that when resistance is present a great harvest is coming when we open doors to our church and when we are given the green light and people begin to give are given the permission to come back to church i believe church the holy spirit is going to move in such a supernatural way just like the book of acts no man can explain it no human can describe it it is the work of god and that and that only can make sense I want you to bow your heads with me